Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Kansas City Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Well, tonight, how many of you came to get blessed? How many of you came to get healed? How many of you came to get set free of something? Too late. You can't get blessed. You can't get healed. You can't get free. It's already been done. All you can do is receive what God has already done. Let's turn over here to Ephesians chapter one. I'm gonna show this to you in the Bible. And you know what? I know that I tricked you, but this is the problem is that so many people believe God can do anything, but they don't believe he has done it. And so they spend their life chasing after God, trying to ask God to do something instead of believing what the Bible says has already been done. So let me just start in Ephesians chapter one, verse three it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath, that word hath is past tense. He's already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The word all here in the Greek means all. It means all spiritual blessings. And some people think, well, spiritual blessings, this means that they aren't reality. It's just in kind of a spiritual, uh, you know, theoretical realm. If you read it in any of the other translations, the Amplified and things, it's just talking about all earthly and spiritual blessings. Everything that God wants to do in your life, he did through Jesus 2,000 years ago. Jesus isn't forgiving people's sins today. He forgave the sins of the entire world 2,000 years ago. I know some of the things I'm saying right here are just I mean, we're just moments into this message and some of you are already beginning to feel a disconnect. But I gotta shock you before I can bless you, amen. I gotta somehow or another, we, you know, people, they just let the truth somehow or another go by them without it making an impact. I'm trying to make my point here that Jesus died for the sins of the world 2,000 years ago and he forgave the sins of the whole world back then. He isn't forgiving people's sins today. People are receiving the forgiveness of sins today. But God did it 2,000 years ago. The church will basically tell people that if you will confess your sins and then ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You can't find that in scripture. The only place in the New Testament it tells you to ask for the forgiveness of your sins, or excuse me, it doesn't even tell you to ask. It says if you will confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive. It doesn't even tell you to ask forgiveness for your sins. There's only one place it tells you to, to confess your sins. First John chapter one, verse nine. And I'm not going to teach on that right now, but anyway, you do not have to ask forgiveness for your sins to get saved. It's as simple as what Paul told and somebody's having a time over there. I think it's a wedding. Amen. Well, pay attention to me. This is much better than a wedding. Amen. <laughs> but 
the, you can look in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts and when Paul and Silas were in jail, the Philippian jailer said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he didn't say, well, confess your sins and ask Jesus to forgive your sins. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Believe what? Believe that Jesus has already paid for your sins, that it's done. Salve, the scripture says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, that Jesus is the propitiation. That means the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The sins of the whole world have already been paid for, Christian and non-Christian. He didn't just die for the people who he knew would accept him. He died for the sins of the whole world. The sins of the whole world have been paid for. Somebody's thinking, oh, are you saying that everybody's saved? No, because the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, you're saved by grace. That's God paying for the sins of the whole world through faith. That's your part. God has made the atonement for the sins of the whole world. They're already paid for, but you have to respond in faith. Being indifferent, ignoring it is not faith. Rebelling at God and hating God is not faith. You have to respond in faith, but when you respond in faith, Jesus doesn't die for you. No, what he did 2000 years ago, all of a sudden becomes reality in your life but it's not God who's moving. He's already done his part. It's you that's just reaching out and taking these things. So the whole concept of, oh God, would you please save me is wrong. He's already saved you. Will you accept his salvation? Will you make him the Lord of your life? Or are you gonna trust in your own goodness and your own holiness? Or are you gonna ignore God? If you ignore it, well then, even though your sins were paid for, people go to hell, not for homosexuality, adultery, lying and stealing. They go to hell for the single sin of rejecting the payment that was made for their sin. And rejecting Jesus and rejecting his payment is a million times worse than homosexuality, murder, lying or stealing. This is not even what I'm wanting to say. And yet I've already just turned a lot of people's theology on its ear, but I've quoted just scriptures for nearly every word that I've said. Jesus has already done it. And then we get, we come and, oh God, save me. And people say, I believe he's going to heal me. I believe he's going to heal me and things like this. But the truth is that by his stripes, 1 Peter 2, 24, you were healed. Jesus has already healed you. Jesus isn't healing people today. And some people think, well, man, that's a bummer. I came to get healed. <laughs> the truth is he's already done it. And that power is resident on the inside of us. And God is limited to flowing through people who believe what he's already done, believe that they have the authority and will take their authority and use it and speak it. It's God's will that every single person in here be well, but you know what? You will not get well unless you believe or unless I believe, and usually unless it's a combination of the two of us believing and receiving. But if it was just totally up to God, every single person in here would be completely healed 100%. He's already done his part. But one of the reasons that we aren't seeing greater manifestations of the healing power of God is cause we go and ask God to do what he's already done. 
He's already healed you. By his stripes, you're healed. And some people just can't wrap their brain around this because they say, well, I don't care what you say, I hurt. That's because all you think there is is this physical realm. It's what the Bible calls carnal. You're carnal. You're just focused on the physical realm and until you can feel the pain gone, until you can see the thing done, you don't believe that God has done anything. But there is also a spiritual realm. God is a spirit, John 4, 24, and God moves in the spiritual realm long before you see something done in the physical realm. And you have to believe that in the spirit on the inside, you have the same power on the inside of you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's not out there. And I tell you, this is what leads to all of this weirdness that we've had in the body of Christ where we're going to pray and we're going to bind the demonic powers over Kansas City and we're going to clear a hole so that our prayers will get up to God. Let me just be blunt with you. That's stupid. How dumb can you get and still breathe? Somebody, well, now wait a minute. Over in Daniel chapter nine, chapter 10, there were these demonic powers that hindered Daniel's prayer. That was in the Old Testament before Jesus came. Now you don't need your prayers to get up past the atmosphere and through the demonic stuff. This is the reason you bow your head when you pray so you can look at God. He's right here. You don't need your prayers to get up to heaven. You bow your head and say, Father, this whole concept of getting your, that's, that was an Old Testament thing. God moved from heaven to earth and he lives inside of you. And it's impossible for you to get your prayers past these demonic things when God is right here. That's one of the reasons we aren't seeing greater manifestation. It's because we're directing our prayers to a God who's afar off and is still in heaven. I go into churches and they'll quote this verse from Isaiah chapter 64 that says, rend the heavens and come down, O Lord. And I've heard people pray that my whole life. Somebody says, well, that's in the Bible, but it's in the Old Testament. The deal is God rent the heavens and he came down and he never left. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. So for you to pray, Rend the heavens and come down means that you don't believe what Jesus did. You don't understand that he's with you. We sing songs in the church. One of them's got a real catchy tune is out of Psalms chapter 51, where it says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. And people sing that song. David was appropriate to pray that because he didn't have God with him all the time. He didn't have a promise that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But when you get born again, God moves on the inside of you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. We come into church and we say things like, well, God wasn't within a hundred miles of that place because nobody jumped a pew. Nobody had a goose bump. No, you didn't see anything. So we say, God wasn't within a hundred miles of that place. That's not true. He's here with me. If nobody else brought him, I brought him. He promised he'd never leave me nor forsake me. God's here with us. And some of you are thinking, well, you're just nitpicking. You're, you're making big things out of little things. No, it's big. It's big if you say, oh God, be with us today. Go with us as we leave this place. How's God gonna answer a prayer like that? 
I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And you're asking him to go with you. That's a dumb prayer. That is a dumb prayer. Amen. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just trying to get my point across, brothers and sisters. We do so many dumb things and then we wonder why we don't see results. It's a miracle that we see as much happen as we do with the way we think. You're already blessed with all spiritual blessings, not some, all. So why, are, why did everybody say, I came to get blessed if you're already blessed? Why did you say you came to get healed if by his stripes you were healed 2,000 years ago? Why did, you came, why did you say you came to be prospered if the Bible says you're already prospered? It's because we don't believe what the Word says. And we go more by what we see and what we feel. And if we don't feel blessed, if we don't look blessed, if we, don't, if we feel pain in our body, if the doctor says this, most of us are more moved by these physical, natural things than by what the Word says. And that's the reason we have these physical problems and don't see the manifestation. Thank you for that thunderous silence. <laughs> People don't like this because you know what? It puts responsibility back on us. It's a lot easier to say, well, God only heals some and he doesn't heal others. It's up to God. God moves in mysterious ways. Whatever will be, will be. That's an easy way out. When you start saying this, that God's already done it. And if you aren't experiencing it, it's not because God didn't give. It's because you haven't received. That puts responsibility on you. You can't be a couch potato just sitting there watching as the stomach turns and, and live that way. But you can be a very religious, moral person and just put everything over on God. It's the sovereignty of God. If God wants this to happen, it'll happen. If he doesn't, it won't. You can be, you can be a very moral, religious person and live like that and take no responsibility for your life. It doesn't matter what you do. But I'm telling you, that's not accurate. God has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings. And the first step to seeing those blessings manifest in your life is to quit asking God to do what he's already done and you start exerting some faith and believing that you've got it and then taking your authority and resisting the devil and commanding some things to change. Anybody can beg God. And if he doesn't answer your prayer, then call the prayer chain and get another hundred people to beg God the way you're begging him and see how that's working. That's not where it's at. You know, there's some good prayer chains, but I guarantee you the vast majority of prayer chains are nothing but gossip mills. You're better off not to call them because man, you're gonna have a hundred people speaking death over you. Well, I don't know why anybody comes to my meetings the way I talk to people. But I'm telling you the truth and I'm not mad at you when I say this. I'm telling you the truth. It's the truth that sets people free. I could come here and hold your hand and say, well, brother, sister, we don't know. God works in mysterious ways and you could feel a little goosebump and go home sick. Or you can hear somebody tell you the truth and if you'll receive it, you can get set free. Look down here in the 14th verse of the first chapter of Ephesians. 
or let's go to verse 15. He begins to pray a prayer from verse 15 down to verse 23. And he says in verse 15, wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And now he begins to pray for them. Before I read the rest of this, let me just point out that if you were writing a prayer tonight that people 2000 years in the future would read, how would you pray? Based on some of the answers that I just got at the beginning of this, did you know that the vast majority of people would say, oh God, bless these people. Oh God, pour out revival on these people. Oh God, move. Oh God, do this. It would all be pleading with God to do something. Paul's prayer is exactly the opposite. He's praying that you would get a revelation of what God has done. He's not begging God to do something. He's praying that you would understand what has already been done. And this is totally different than most people. This whole book of Ephesians is written from this perspective about what has already been done, not begging God to do something. The body of Christ by and large has been beggars that come to God. Oh God, I am nothing. I have nothing. I can do nothing, but I believe that you can do anything. Would you please move, please, please. And you beg and plead and tell God how desperate your situation is just in case he's busy and didn't know you're trying to put a high priority on it and you just can't understand why God hadn't moved. That's an insult to what Jesus has done. Jesus has already anticipated every problem any one of us could have. He's already supplied the need. On the inside of you is more than enough power to do anything that you need. You don't need God to give you more power, to give you more faith, to release healing, to do this, to do that. What you need to do is believe what God has already done and then you go out and lay your hands on something and see this miraculous power flow. That's a totally different mindset. One is a beggar, the other is a commander. The body of Christ have been beggars. People come to me by the thousands and the vast majority are just pathetic. And I'm not saying that in a critical way, I'm just saying they're pathetic, they're, they're beat down, they're broken hearted and I can't do anything, I've prayed, it hasn't worked for me, would you please pray and see if God will do it for you? That's terrible. I had a woman come to me one time. She says, I've been praying for my husband to get saved for 20 years and God hadn't answered my prayer. Maybe he'll answer your prayer. She said, would you pray for my husband? And I said, I will not. And she was just shocked. Like you won't pray for my husband to get saved. And I said, not the way you're praying because you're talking like it's God's fault that your husband's not saved. And if God wanted to, he could just save him. I said, that's absolutely wrong. The Lord's already done everything about saving that man he's gonna do. And it's up to that man. I said, what you can do is be a witness. You can pray laborers to come across his path, but he ultimately has to respond. It's not God who hasn't saved him. It's him that hasn't accepted what God has done. And I'm not gonna get down on the same level that you are and insult God by begging him to save your husband. That's good. 
So here's the prayer that he's praying right here in verse 18. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Notice he's not praying, oh God, do something new. Actually, if I had time, I won't take it, but you could go back just a few verses into verses five, six, and seven, and it says God's already abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence. So God's already given us wisdom. In your spirit, you already have wisdom. So the wisdom that he's asking for doesn't come down from out there. It's on the inside of you. You gotta draw it out. That's a great teaching, but I'm not gonna teach on that. And in verse 18, it says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. People want to see the glory of God and they say, oh God, show me your glory, show me your glory. What you ought to do is look right here. Right here is the glory of God. Second Thessalonians chapter two around verse 12 says, we have been called to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus prayed in the 17th chapter of John, God give them the same glory that you gave me. Man, I wish I had time right here to spend the week teaching on spirit, soul, and body. That's the revelation that changed my life. In your spirit, you've already got the glory of God on the inside of you. You're perfect. You're as holy and pure as Jesus is. You're as righteous as Jesus is. You have as much power as Jesus has. It's not out there. It's in you. People will pray and say, oh God, just give me more faith. You've got this, the faith of the Son of God living on the inside of you. Romans chapter 12, verse three, you don't need more faith. You need to get faith out of you, not into you. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. You've already got faith on the inside of you. You don't have a faith problem. You got an unbelief problem. There's a, I got about a six part teaching on that. That's awesome. He's praying that you would see the riches of the glory of his inheritance that's in the saints. What you have on the inside of you would bankrupt heaven if God ever had to replace it. You got the glory of God. The riches of heaven is on the inside of you. And yet most of us look in the mirror and think, I don't have all of that. That's because you're only looking on the physical body and then you search your mind and emotions and you can go by your feelings. But in your spirit, you are identical to Jesus right now. And it doesn't fluctuate based on your performance. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13. You were sealed. And if you sin, sin enters into your physical body and gives Satan an inroad against you in the physical. If you sin, it enters into your mind and emotions and it gives Satan an inroad against you emotionally, mentally. But your spirit is sealed and it's as pure and perfect as the moment it was born again, it's identical to Jesus. First John chapter four, verse 17. You have the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in you. If you knew that, brothers and sisters, I'm saying a lot of things right here. But if you had the revelation of what I was talking about, I guarantee you, you would not be intimidated by cancer and by financial problems and all of this other stuff. 
We heard Diane down here give a testimony about how she heard me say something about you don't have to live with depression and it was brand new to her. She had lived with depression her entire life and she just accepted that this was the way it had to be and just by hearing somebody say that you don't have to live with depression, it began the process and today, man, she's an extrovert and excited and not staying at home anymore, amen. She's been delivered. And I'm telling you, you've all, if you knew what you had, you would not go through this life as if you have nothing. You wouldn't be afraid. I prayed with the woman over here about cancer and she was just crying. And I told her, cancer's no big deal. Cancer's not hard. We've seen hundreds and hundreds of people ill to cancer. Cancer's no big deal unless you believe it's a big deal, unless you have drunk the Kool-Aid of this world that is incurable. Nothing is incurable with God. And you need to get an attitude. You need to get an attitude like, how dare cancer touch my body? I'm not putting up with this stuff. You know, they sent me for a physical, my board did, to get an insurance policy. I personally don't have any insurance, not even under Obamacare. I'm paying the penalty <laughs> in protest. So I don't have any insurance, but my board made me take out an insurance policy on the ministry. So I went to get this thing. And anyway, I witnessed to him and told him about my son who was raised from the dead. After being dead over four hours, nearly five hours, he was stripped naked in a cooler, in a morgue with a toe tag on. They'd already closed the door on him. And they called me and Jamie and I agreed. And he was raised from the dead, no brain damage no more than he had before. And I told this doctor and this nurse about this miracle and I'd witnessed to them. But you know, they wanted, to, they wanted me to do this treadmill test and they wanted to put these electrodes on my chest and they started to shave my chest. And I told, I told that nurse, I said, this is virgin hair. It's never been touched. I said, don't shave my chest. And so anyway, they put these things on my chest without shaving it. And when I started sweating, then these things started falling off. And so I was holding two of them and running. And then the nurse was holding two and the doctor was holding two. And uh, anyway, I got to the end of the test and he started looking at my chart and then he started grunting and moaning. And, and then he, he wrote on a piece of paper. He says, uh, you need, this is a friend of mine. You need to go over there. We're going to test you more. We're going to put you in the hospital and we may do open heart surgery on you before the day is over. You got a serious problem. But you know what? Because I've been meditating in the word because I knew that the glory of God dwells on the inside of me. And I knew these things. And it to me is more real than what a doctor has to say. It took me about, I don't know, five seconds. I just sat there kind of processing what he had said. And then I looked at that doctor and I said, that's a lie. <laughs> and this doctor just was shocked. He looked at me. I guess he wasn't used to people telling him that he was a liar. <laughs> and I said, that's a lie. I do not have a heart problem. And he said, well, I said, you, you look at that and tell me that that says I got a heart problem. He says, well, it was perfect except in one little place and it was one one hundredth of a mark off. 
And he said, everybody's heart's different. Your heart could be totally normal. You might be perfectly healthy. I just think we ought to go get it checked. I said, that's not what you told me. I said, you lied to me. You were telling me I had a serious heart problem and I got on this guy's case and went to rebuking him. And he just tore up that piece of paper and he said, bye. He says, leave. And, and he failed me on the test and I couldn't get insurance because of it. So I had a doctor friend and I went down to Louisiana and he did one of these stress tests where they shoot you with a dye and then do it. And I, he said, I have the heart of a 17 year old. Everything was fine. And he told me, he says that those stress tests, he says they're wrong 50% of the time. They're wrong as often as they're right. He says, don't ever let anybody make a diagnosis based on a stress test. But did you know that most people, there's many people sitting right here in this room, that if you took a stress test and if a doctor said something to you, you'd fall apart like a $2 suitcase because you don't know who's in you and what power you have. I'm telling you, if you believe that you've got the same power on the inside of you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you aren't gonna be afraid of some sickness or of the flu season or of all of this other kind of stuff. But Christians are just as afraid of things as non-Christians because they don't see the riches of the glory that dwells on the inside of them. The average person believes that all you are is an old sinner saved by grace. That's not true. I was an old sinner, but I got saved by grace. And now I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. My spirit is righteous and pure. And because of that, I'm believing for something different than what everybody else is believing for. I'm not like everybody else. There ought to be a difference between a person who's alive and one who's dead. I'm alive in Christ. Adam was singing about that tonight, about being alive in Christ. The truth is in your spirit, you've got everything. But we don't know that. We do not know who we are. We've got an identity crisis and we don't know who we are. And because of it, we settle for a second best life. I prayed for some people over here who told me that they had multiple things wrong. And they said, but you know what? If I could just get this, this is the one that bothers me. I could live with the rest. It's like we're gonna, you know, make the lights in heaven dim if we ask God to heal three things all at one time. I'm not sure God's got enough power for that. If you knew how much power you had on the inside of you, man, you would not put up with a second class life. You wouldn't sit there and when they talk about the great recession, start planning on failure. Because God said he'd supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. It's not based on the U.S. economy. It's based on a heavenly economy. If you knew who you were and what you had, you wouldn't be sitting there cutting back. Did you know that most millionaires are made during economic downturns? Because they're visionaries that while everybody else is panicking and thinking, I'm gonna sell for 10 cents on the dollar, they're buying and all they gotta do is just hold their time and it'll come back up and that's where they make all of their money. And sad to say, there are many Christians that panicked and got into fear and expected failure just the same as people that don't know God. There's a lot of pastors, I mean hundreds of pastors that I know that expected their finances to go down because it's wrong, it's tough economic times and their people are struggling. 
And I tell you, if that's what you believe, you'll get it. But if you can believe for it, you can build a $32 million building during a great recession. And you can prosper and do it debt-free without taking out a loan. I'm telling you that the only thing that limits God is your thinking, not God. It's not God hasn't done it. God's already done everything. And if God's already done it, then why are we going to leave anything that he's done on the table and not take advantage of it? Man, I'm going to take advantage of everything. If he's already healed me, well then bless God, I'm going to be healed. I'm not going to be sick. Amen. I know many of you, well, you can't live that way. Well, don't wake me up because this is how I'm living. It's been 46 years and I've had a couple of times and I, I even hesitate to call one of them a sickness, but I've had two things in 46 years that I've dealt with and you know what? It was stupidity that caused those. I ministered 41 times in one week and the next week I ministered 42 times and it laid me flat on my back for about three days. That's just stupid. That's not sick. That's stupid. I don't believe in getting sick. I don't get sick. I know some of you think you can't do that, and that's the reason you get sick, because you don't believe you have that power. The Bible says no plague will come nigh our dwelling. You can't get any closer to my dwelling than my body. This is my dwelling. No plague comes nigh my dwelling. Anyway, I could minister a lot on that. So it goes on to say in the next verse, verse 19, this is a continuation. He's praying that you will get the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the eyes of your understanding opened, verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the power of uh, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality. This is talking about demonic stuff and powers and, and uh, or excuse me, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet. If you think you are the corn on the little toe in the body of Christ, if you think you're the sorriest saint that ever lived, Satan is under you. If you're the lowest part of the body of Christ, Satan is under you. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who filleth all in all. Verse 19 says, he's praying that you would understand that you, the exceeding greatness of his power, the power that he used when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Did you know that's the greatest display of God's power that the world has ever seen? Creating the heavens and the earth. Think about that. That's nothing compared to raising Jesus from the dead. It took more power to raise Jesus from the dead because at creation, there wasn't any opposition. But at the resurrection of Jesus, Satan and all of his demons were marshaled and they threw everything they had against the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. They tried to hold him in hell and not let him out and they couldn't stop him. You know, the church that I've gone to, they have these Easter pageants 
And at Easter, they put on these major productions. And I mean, it's a big deal. And they have a person dressed in black that personifies the devil. And he's there and on the Mount of uh, Temptation. And he's the one that does the temptations. And then through all of the scenes in this Easter pageant, you see the devil there, you know, uh, in the scribes and Pharisees whispering to them. And then one of the scribes will say something, but it's real obvious it's the devil inspiring all of this. And uh, when they, you know, say crucify him, this uh, person that personifies the devil is there yelling all of this. And when it comes to the resurrection, they have this person who is personifying the devil. This music is building to a crescendo. It's coming to resurrection morning. And this person that personifies the devil is standing against the tomb and pushing on the stone with everything he's got, all of his power against it. And then there's this big explosion in smoke. And when the smoke clears, the guy who is the devil is laying flat of his back. The gravestone is on top of him and Jesus is standing on top of it like this. And that's a little picture of what happened. I mean, Satan put everything he had against raising Jesus from the dead and yet Jesus rose from the dead. That was the greatest display of God's power that the world, the universe has ever seen. And he's praying that your eyes would be open to the power you have, the raising from the dead power that's on the inside of you, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. If you've got the same power on the inside of you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, then why are we crying? Because they said, I'm gonna die. Because you don't believe it. You might've even heard it, but you don't believe it. If you really believe that you had this supernatural miracle working power on the inside of you, you wouldn't fall apart like a $2 suitcase when they tell you you're gonna die. You would believe God. You draw on that power. But the reason people worry and the people, people just are devastated because the doctor said this is because you believe the doctor more than you believe what God says. You don't have a revelation of who you are and what you have in Christ. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we should have a superiority attitude. Not superiority in my flesh, but in who I am in Christ. That Jesus in me is greater than he that's in the world. I am not gonna be terrified by this world. I'm not gonna be intimidated by this world. I'm not gonna march to the same drum beat that this world has. You know, they're starting to talk about this Ebola, uh, what is it, virus? They're talking about that and that this could be a terrible thing. Did you know I've been to the exact spot where the Ebola uh, virus originated and it killed half of the population and one of my good friends pastors a church and I go right there and I've paid, prayed for people with all that and them spitting on me and doing things and I've prayed for people with AIDS. Some people say, well, I wouldn't ever do that. That's because you don't know who you are. Now I'm not telling you to do stupid stuff, but you know what? If they need ministering to, I'll minister to them. And I don't care if they got a communicable disease. I'm, I'm healed. I've got the power of God on the inside of me. And some of you germophobics get sick all of the time. I don't get sick. I don't believe in getting sick. How's that working for you? It's working better for me than it's working for you. I'm telling you what, if you, you know, we sit here and we worry so much about our food and whether, 
I know somebody's going to criticize me over this. But. Anyway, don't, don't come to me. I've heard it before. And if I'm wrong, just let me be wrong. All right. Don't wake me up. But we worry about whether this has gluten in it, whether it has sugar in it, whether it has all of this. And you spend so much money doing all of these things. And I'm not saying you just go pig out and ignore stuff. But if you would bless your food and believe that when you pray over it, it is sanctified, you would be healthier than if you did all of this other stuff. All of the old awake people love what I'm saying. But I'm telling you, it's true. My mother lived to be 96 and was healthy as a horse until just right at the very end. And you know what? She loved junk food. But you know, one of the things that made my mother live so long, she was adopted, never did know who her real parents were, but she honored her adopted parents. My mother honored them. And the scripture says, you honor your father and mother and you'll live long upon this land. The scripture says, a merry heart does good like a medicine. Proverbs 17, 22. The scripture says that if you observe my sayings, it'll produce long life. The word of God is health to all of your flesh and life to them that find it. I believe that what you eat and exercise is a part of the equation. This is just andeology. I don't have a scripture to stand on. But in my opinion, I believe that your diet and exercise is probably somewhere around 25% of your health. You can't ignore it. But if you would walk in love, if you would honor your father and mother, if you would have a merry heart, if you would live in the word day and night, that would be 75% of your health right there. You know, they go over to Japan and they search these people who have the lowest heart problems in the world and they uh, look at their diet and because they eat a lot of fish, they tell you the answer is eating fish. It's fish oil and all of this. They don't even take into account that these people honor their elders to the point that they even have ancestor worship. And they don't factor that in. I think, why don't they do that? Because they are only carnal. They're only looking for a physical, natural answer. I'm telling you, spiritual, emotional things are just as important, more important than these physical things that everybody's obsessing over. I just saw on the internet a woman who's 103 years old. They asked her what her secret to being 103 was. And she says, I eat four strips of bacon every single day of my life. And I said, yes. Now that's food. These people that eat twigs and berries, that's not food. That's what food eats. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm just saying that, see, if we were more spiritual conscious, if you believe that you had this supernatural power on the inside of you, we wouldn't live such beggarly lives. Did you know a generation ago when I was a kid, I don't personally remember eating dirt, but I remember a bunch of my friends eating dirt and doing all kinds of things. We drank out of cups after each other. We, we did, and you know what they're saying now that a generation ago, kids were healthier 
because they were exposed to germs and they built up an immunity. And kids today are not as healthy because they live in such a sterile environment. We become so concerned because we are becoming less and less spiritually minded and concerned about God and it's all natural. Most people wouldn't use this terminology, but even Christians are becoming super humanistic that there is a physical, natural reason for everything. And yet if you read the Bible, over 50% of the healings that Jesus produced were casting demons out of people. Many sicknesses, it's represented in this place right now, it's demonic. You got demonic powers oppressing you and that's the reason that they can't find what's wrong with you because it isn't physical. I'm not saying that you aren't experiencing physical problems, but the cause is spiritual. It's a demonic thing. Jesus cast blindness out of people, dumbness out of people. Those were demons. I believe that a lot of eyesight problems are demonic things. They're attacks from the devil. This doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means that Satan is the author of many of these things and we're trying to fight it with a pill. What we need to do is take the gospel, amen, and get healed. But I'm trying to change your opinion tonight that you've already got it. You've already got what you need. And instead of, oh God, I am nothing and I have nothing, would you please move? You ought to believe that God has placed this supernatural power on the inside of you and get some wisdom. If you don't know exactly how to release it, well then go to James chapter one. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering because he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. You've already got wisdom. All you gotta do is draw it out and say, God, what do I need to do? And God will show you. You know, the little boy that had five loaves and two fish, instead of Jesus cursing what he has and says, oh man, this is never enough to feed 5,000 people. You know, I don't know, we have 1,000 people in here tonight. And if I had five loaves and two fish, I guarantee it wouldn't even come close to feeding this group. But instead of Jesus cursing it and saying, oh, this isn't enough, he blessed it. He spoke blessing over it. He took the power that was on the inside of him and it multiplied that. Instead of you sitting here and saying, oh, I don't have enough and I've got more bills and I've got money and saying all of these things, what we ought to do is start saying, God's supplying all of my need. I've got the answer. God, show me where it is. Show me how to get it done. And you need to start operating in faith and God will give you a creative idea and boom, the power of God would flow and you'd start seeing miracles happen. Over in 2 Kings chapter four, there was a woman who the creditors were coming to take her children away and she cried out to Elisha and he says, what do you have? She came saying, I don't have anything, I can't do it. And he said, no, you got it, what do you have? And she says, well, all I got is a little tiny bit of oil and a little bit of meal. And he says, go borrow all the vessels you can and pour out. And she started pouring and it multiplied. And she went and sold all of this and lived off of it the rest of her life. She had the power on the inside of her. She just needed somebody with faith to activate it and to do something. If you need a healing in your body, the healing's not out there. It's not in me. The healing's in you. God's power lives on the inside of you. Now activate it. And I could spend weeks here telling you how to activate it. 
I hadn't got time to do that. That's what all of that material is about. I encourage you to go get it. But just understanding that you got, if you really believed that you had the power of God on the inside of you and everything you need, financial, emotional, uh, physical, anything, it's in here. You may not know how to get it out, but if you really believed it was in there, you'd keep after it and you'd eventually see it come to pass. My wife and I saw blind eyes open, deaf ears open, people healed miraculously before we ever heard of Copenhagen. Copeland and Hagen. Copenhagen. That's what I meant to say. We had never heard of these people, and yet we saw miracles happen. And from my, I didn't know that anybody had seen a miracle in 2,000 years. I thought I was the first person to see a miracle happen since the apostles died. That's what I was told. But you know what? I just knew it was here somewhere. And I didn't understand confession and I didn't know taking my authority and I didn't know speaking to the mountain and I didn't know a lot of things that I know now, but I knew it was in here somewhere. I knew I had this power and I just started speaking to anything and everything. You know, a blind squirrel to get a nut every once in a while if he doesn't quit. And I just was so convinced that I had the power of God on the inside of me that I started seeing miracles happen before I even knew what I was doing. I know for certain that if you believed you had this power on the inside of you, you would start seeing the power of God manifest. But as a whole, the body of Christ is going, and oh God, I am nothing, I have nothing. Would you please move? That'll get you killed. And you can pray and fast, but if you're praying and fasting in unbelief, not understanding that God's already done his part and it's not up to God whether you get healed, it's whether you can stir yourself up and reach out and receive what God has already done. If you don't understand that, you can pray and fast and die doing that. Praying and fasting doesn't get you healed, it's faith that releases the power of God and not faith in what God can do, but faith in what he has already done. And if you understand this, it gives you a boldness too. Because if God's already done it, then you won't doubt that he will do it. If he's already done it, how could you doubt that he will do it? It's already done. And it gives you boldness. I can pray with people and sit there and demand healing. And if, I, and if they don't have their pain leave or whatever, I can keep praying and speaking and make that pain leave and make healing manifest. And see, some people that don't understand what I'm talking about, they'll think, so you're just forcing God. No, God's already done his part. And it's me that I'm dealing with. It's the unbelief in them. It's the demon who's trying to stop it that I'm dealing with. I'm not making God do anything. God's already done his part. It's like speaking in tongues. You can speak in tongues anytime you want to. I can speak in tongues right now if I want to, but I'm not going to because it benefits you more to speak in English. But I can speak in tongues. I can turn it on and off. And some people think, so you can just turn the Holy Spirit on and off. No, he's on all of the time. It's me that's on and off. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is constantly making intercession for me to the Father. And anytime I want to get in on it, all I got to do is flip the switch and pray in tongues and I can pray in tongues. I'm not turning him on and off. I'm turning me on and off. God has already done it. Once you understand that, it takes all of this 
uh, unbelief out of it. You know, there's many Pentecostals that pray for the Holy Spirit for 20 years because they're waiting on the Holy Spirit to force them to speak in tongues. I tell you, it's wonderful to find out that nope, he's already done it. It's you that turns it on and off. And you can receive, you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues right now. You don't have to wait on some special manifestation. I tell you, this just has changed my life to understand that God's already done his part. It's not God that I'm waiting on. God's waiting on me. He's waiting on you. Some of you have been praying and just begging God to move in your life and God has been saying, you move. He told you to go lay hands on the sick and yet you're asking him to heal the sick. He told you to go heal the sick. He didn't tell you to pray for the sick. Did you know there's not a single command in the New Testament for you to pray for the sick? It does say that if anybody's sick, let him call for the elders of the church and they'll anoint him with oil and pray over him and the prayer of faith will save the sick. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for the sick, but you weren't commanded to pray for the sick. You were commanded to heal the sick. There's a difference. That implies that you have this authority, but the average person will say, oh God, we just know that you're sovereign and that whatever you want gets done. If it's your will, please heal this person. That's a chicken prayer. (laughs) Anybody can pray that prayer. But if you stand up and say, Father, thank you that by your stripes we were healed. You put this power on the inside of me. You said whosoever I lay hands on the sick, they will recover. And I take my authority. And now in the name of Jesus, I command. Now that takes a little bit more faith. You're putting yourself on the spot. And most people will not take that approach. And so we're asking God to heal the sick when he told you to heal the sick. It's up to you whether the sick gets healed. That is good. That's really good. Amen. You know, if you've listened to what I've said tonight, you probably have as many questions as you have answers. And that's what all that material is. I've got answers. I just can't tell you everything I know in one time. But what I've said tonight, I believe to be true. And it's changed my life. And it's changing the lives of other people. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you're loaded. God's already deposited his life on the inside of you. And the only thing that is keeping you from walking in the supernatural power of God is a loose connection right here. You don't know what you've got. We got a loose wire that won't transmit it from the spirit through the mind to the body. And we've got to renew our mind. You get transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I pray that tonight God will take some of the things I've said and if nothing else, put you on a journey to search and find out if these things are so. And I believe if you'll open your heart up, the Lord will show you that these things are so and that you have this power. And if you ever really believe it, you will see a huge difference. You will see things start changing. What we don't know is killing us. Our ignorance is killing us. And man, that's the reason we have the Bible college. That's the reason we have all this material. I just encourage you to please take advantage of it. It'd change your life. Let me ask tonight if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus personally, if you haven't been born again, that's the first step. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible.
We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.